Hey, good morning, Table Church. Just want to welcome all of you that are joining us. Yeah, we are a church here in San Francisco that we exist to belong, believe, and bless. Yeah, we want to build a community where all of us can have a true community to just belong and be exactly who we are and also to believe. We want to believe in the good news of the gospel and then to bless. We want to bless others uh, with the gifts that God has given us, bless our city. And so uh, today as we um, finish our worship gathering here in just a little bit, we're going to have a, a picnic. So I'm inviting all of you. You've probably already invite, been invited so far, but if you haven't received an invitation, let me give you a personal inv warm invitation to join us. And uh, you can basically email us at info at thetablesf.com and we'll send you a link and you're going to need that link to access our, our picnic today. So hope to see all of you there just moments from now. Well, today in our continuation of Psalms, we're looking at Psalm 51, the actions of repentance. And as we look at this, it's going to be a really juicy story today that we're getting into. The, the main character, uh, David, has an affair, and then uh, to cover that up, there's murder. Uh, and then he is quiet about that, silently trying to hide that sin and hide from God until God sends the prophet Nathan to confront him about his sin. Uh, and then he confesses that sin, he repents, and then comes out on the other side singing and rejoicing. And so right off the bat, you may be listening to this thinking, oh, I'm just going to stop listening to this talk or this Bible study or sermon because I've never dealt with adultery. Uh, I've, I'm not a murderer. This has nothing to do with me. And so I want to... Uh, have you pause for just a moment and invite you to, to stay with us right now. I do think that this relates to you. I do think that we all um, are being encouraged today from this passage about how to repent. We've all wanted life change. Many of us are, are struggling and frustrated because we don't really see the life change that we're anticipating or dreaming about. And uh, the Bible says, because perhaps that's because we haven't truly experience repentance. Yeah, repentance, and there's actions of repentance that early on in the faith I just had never learned, I didn't know about, and so I want to look at this passage today that talks about these actions of repentance. And so uh, it, it, it relates to all of us. There's something to be learned here uh, from, from all of us. Some of you are listening to this and you have been the victim of an affair or an adulterous relationship or there's been a murder somewhere in the family um, or some of you listening to this have been on the side of committing the adultery or the affair. And so again, there's good news today that the gospel uh, gives us. Uh, and so we're going to learn these actions of repentance together. So um, let me just start out as way of backdrop by just telling you that as we talk about these actions of repentance, the four of them that I'm going to mention today, one is responsibility, two is repudiation, three is replacement, and four is rejoicing. So before I get into those four actions of repentance from Psalm 51, let me give you a backdrop to the story, the story that's going on, the historical context of this most um, intriguing, quite juicy, and poisonously juicy story. 
uh, that's found in 2 Samuel, the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. There's Uriah the Hittite. He's one of the truest and best friends of David. Uh, he's, he's a great soldier. He's out with the army, and uh, he's fighting against the Ammonites, and David is not out at battle. David is home in Jerusalem, uh, just chilling, perhaps relaxing. He's not out where perhaps he ought to be, but he's on his rooftop, and as he's there, he notices, the scriptures say, a beautiful woman, a very beautiful woman, and she's bathing Her name is Bathsheba, and interestingly, this Bathsheba is Uriah's wife. So yeah, this is David's most trusted friend uh, who's in the army. Uh, This is his wife, and so um, David fell for her. He, he, He thinks she's beautiful, so he has some of his other people bring Bathsheba to him and He sleeps with her, has this affair with her, and um, she gets pregnant. We got a problem. And so uh, David then, in an effort to cover up uh, all that's taken place, um, he calls Uriah back from the battlefield, and he uh, has a conversation with Uriah, and he wants to basically kill time and waste time by asking Uriah things about how the battle was going, and... um, how General Joab is doing, and basically it's the end of the day, and David suggests to Uriah, hey Uriah, it's been a long day, why don't you just go get some rest, Uh, why don't you go take a shower, get something to eat, and then have sex with your wife, and Uriah essentially tells David, far be it from me to do such a thing when my men, the other soldiers, are sleeping on hard, cold ground, uh, rather than go into my own house and having sex with my wife, I, I will sleep out here in, in the front yard. Well, David realizes that his, his plan isn't uh, going as he was hoping. See, he was hoping that David, uh, or sorry, he was hoping that Uriah would indeed go and sleep with his wife Bathsheba, and then uh, David would not be found out for this adultery. Uh, but since Uriah is not going to go in that direction, uh, David then sends a message to General Joab, and uh, this is what they decide to do. Uh, we want to send Uriah and a small group of men uh, to a very dangerous area, and as they're in that dangerous area there in battle, we want the rest of the troops to retreat so that Uriah is killed. And so Bathsheba goes into mourning, and after her mourning, uh, David marries her. And David thinks everything's fine. David is uh, thinking, whew, everything's okay. Uriah is dead. I, I've essentially killed him, and no one's even going to know about this until God sends the prophet Nathan to come and confront uh, David. And Nathan gives one of the greatest sermons ever given. <laughs> and Nathan basically tells David, let me tell you a story, David. There's a, there's a rich man with lots of flocks, and there's a poor man with no flocks, and had only one little lamb. And this one little lamb was, was like a daughter to him. She ate from his dish and slept from his arms, but the rich man stole the lamb and slew the lamb and served it to his guest. What should be done to this man? And David arose in his wrath and he said, Is this man without pity? This is a heartless man. As the Lord lives, let this man die. 
Uh, Let him stand before me, David said. Who is this man? And Nathan, in one of the most powerful sermons ever given, said, you are the man. You are the man. Now, let me just take this moment right now to thank the Nathans of the world. Thanks be to God for the Nathans that God has placed in my life, uh, that God has placed in your life, that continually, patiently bring the word of God to us uh, to help us um, basically have life. That uh, the Nathans need to be thanked. Uh, We'd be dead without these Nathans. I I am super grateful and super blessed to have married one of these Nathans. That my wife at times functions in this sort of way and I'm super grateful for it. Who is the Nathan in your life? Or perhaps you function at times as a Nathan in someone else's life. We'd be dead without these Nathans. We're grateful for them after they do their work. At times, we're not really grateful that they're coming to us and confronting us with truth. Uh, But we want to say thank you to the Lord for the Nathans. See, David had blew up his life. And you may be sitting here listening to this thinking, I've blown up my life. I've blown it up. I've made incredible mistakes. David was thinking, how could he be a king? How could he live another day? And we have this record, Psalm 51, of how he got out. How he got out of this spiritual depression and out of this hiding his own sin. and How he became a great leader and a great man of God. How he triumphed. How was that? He repented. He repented. And there's these these actions of repentance that we're going to look at right now, that we need repentance to, wherever you're coming from this morning. Yeah, we're, we're quite beautiful people. We're also quite broken. We're a beautiful mess. And so wherever you're coming from this morning, please be mindful that whether you're running from God or whether you're on purpose trying to stay distant from God, or you feel distant because of some sin that you're keeping silent about or hiding or covering up, that God always comes close to us. God always wants to restore us and lead us through repentance. So let me read some of these verses here in Psalm 51. And also as we go through this time together here we're going to be referencing Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is a psalm that records how David was silent with his sin for approximately a year. And so let me me just get started here in Psalm 51 and read verses 1 through 8. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. 
Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that we are indeed beautiful and that we're also broken. We hear voices at times that say to us, hey, you'll never amount to much, so don't even try. Or or we hear voices that say, you're such a success that you don't even need God after all. We come to you with hope, faith, doubt. We truly are a beautiful mess, a walking contradiction. But yet you love us. And whether we're running towards you or we're running away from me, you, you love us and you move towards us. Lead us towards repentance right now, we pray. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. This first action of repentance is responsibility. Responsibility. This basically just means to own your sin, to own it. Uh, David here in Psalm 51, he's not rationalizing his sin. He's not minimizing his sin. He's not denying his sin. He's not saying, hey, adultery is just some archaic social construct anyway. Modern people, I mean, we can just do whatever we want. I mean, if it's adultery or if it's, it just, I'll choose what I choose. Especially if it's two consenting adults. Uh, David is not saying something like, oh, 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 it's just my hormones. I, I just couldn't control it. I mean, after all, it's probably her fault. She shouldn't have been bathing up there. She shouldn't be so beautiful anyway. It's her fault. David doesn't say, I had to do it. I was lonely. I wasn't getting what I needed in my marriage. She, this Bathsheba, really made me feel like a man. David doesn't say, well, I was wrong, but you know what? I'm not as wrong as that other guy. David doesn't blame it and say, well, God, you gave me this uncontrollable desire anyway, and God, you gave me this temper that lashed out at Uriah and had him killed. See, all of those are manipulative attempts that any one of us can go through instead of truly taking responsibility for our sin. Verse 5 that we read just a moment ago, David says, I was born into sin. Yeah, I, I was already a sinner in my mother's womb. See, David truly understands and is underscoring a very deep theological reality here is that we're not sinners because we go and do sin. Rather, we go and do sin or we think up sin or we even crave sin because we're sinners and that we're born into that because of that fall that we see in the Bible happening there in Genesis chapter 3 that's recorded for us through Adam and Eve, that the rest of us after Adam and Eve, yeah, we're born right into sin and a sinful world, and that there's no sector of society that's immune to sin. And the sinful effects, yeah, the sinful effects have devastated every sector of society. Our genetics, our biology, our politics, um, it's affected us politically, socially, intellectually, uh, sexually, relationally, financially, all of these ways. It's, it's brought corruption, pain, injustice, hatred, racism, classism, lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, sex trafficking, human diseases, natural disasters, and death. 
All of those are a result of sin. Now see, here's, what's, here, here's what happens, though, when we know that we've sinned and we try to hide it, not taking responsibility for it. Now this is David in Psalm 32, which we're going to reference right now. Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5, David said, When I refuse to confess my sin, see, keep in mind, it was about a year David is thinking he's off the hook. He's not going to get punished. God's not going to know about it before Nathan the prophet comes and confronts him. He says, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. See, that's what it looks like. That's why some of you right now are completely miserable. You're miserable. You're just carrying around sin. You've been carrying around unconfessed, unacknowledged sin. Sin that you've taken no responsibility for. And it's literally like a cancer inside of you. David says, I groaned all day long when I kept silent about my sin. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And then he says, finally, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. See, unconfessed sin, not taking responsibility for sin is like a cancer. It's, it's worse than a COVID-19. It, it, is, it is worse than a cancer that's literally eating the insides of us. Taking responsibility is the first part of repentance. See, the liberation of forgiveness that he's talking about here begins with honesty. Yeah, honesty breeds intimacy. If you're looking for honesty, or rather, if you're looking for intimacy in your relationships with other human beings and ultimately with God, it's a calling towards honesty. Honesty breeds intimacy. See, people are doing all sorts of things and they think it's fine. I mean, the, uh, the serial killer, that's exactly what they're doing. It's fine. And see, what David is teaching us and what the scriptures are teaching us is that you can't be your own wall. You can't be your own standard. And see, change happens, this change that you long for. Change happens when you and I get specific about a sin. Not just some random, vague, bad feeling that, oh, I feel like a crummy person. That's not repentance. It's not the same as conviction of sin, vague feelings of being a bad person, that those aren't even helpful. Feeling rotten is not the same as repentance. See, people have done horrible things and almost never do people who do these wicked things say, let's go do something wicked. That's not what they're saying before they go and do the thing that's wicked. They're just thinking that's right, according to them. Eve says, maybe I did something wrong, but you know what? It was the serpent. Adam says, maybe I did something wrong, but you know what? I think it was the woman. David is saying to Joab, the general Joab, you know what? I I don't feel that bad about killing Uriah. You know what? It was the sword of the Ammonites that killed him, right? Was it me that killed him? Uriah was going to die anyway. I, I didn't really kill him. 
David was, before confessing his sin and acknowledging and taking responsibility, David was saying in his heart, you know, I'm the king. I don't think God wants me to live a a miserable life. You you, you know, I I need this. Self-pity. She makes me feel great about myself. She makes me feel like a man. I, I need that. You know what, that Uriah, he couldn't satisfy her anyway. I mean, haven't you heard it all? Haven't we said it all? Haven't we defended ourselves before God in that way? When we say, maybe this is wrong, but see, we're using that same device that enabled the Holocaust. Right, we we, we begin to defend ourselves and that's the same mechanism that exacerbates racism, adultery, affairs, and, 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 and injustice and evil. See, there's no way out of our sin until we take responsibility for our sin. You, you can say that your circumstances was a trigger for sin, but the cause for my sin is that I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to sin. See, I'm miserable today because of my sin, because I wanted to sin. I want to do it. I have sinned. And so the prayer is, Lord, change what I want. Change my wanter. Change what I desire. Help help me hate sin. And so that gets us to the second action of repentance, and that is repudiation. Repudiation is hatred, truly distancing yourself from sin. This action moves from cognitively thinking about sin, acknowledging it intellectually, and your emotions begin to get involved. You're beginning to mourn it. You begin to hate it. It begins to lose its lure, and its flavor doesn't taste as sweet because you begin to see it for what it really is. You begin to see sin truly as poisonous, And instead of an affair being some luring, mysterious thing that you might feel drawn to, you begin to see adultery and an affair as if there's a poisonous snake in the bed with the one that you're about to go crawl in the bed with. And maybe you haven't experienced life change because it didn't involve the heart of repentance. It didn't involve truly hating sin. And and so repenting doesn't lead you to hate yourself. That's just feeling shame. And you and I have felt that sort of shame and self-hatred, which doesn't lead to change. But true gospel change is repentance, whereby we begin to repudiate and hate our sins, which means we begin to hate why, why we did the sin to begin with. What led me to do that anyway? What led me to think the way that I thought? Verse four from Psalm 51, David says, against you and you only have I sinned. Well, that sounds quite godly to say that, right? To sort of prioritize that it's against God and God alone that he sinned. Well, hasn't he sinned against Uriah? Hasn't David sinned against Bathsheba? See, the Bible, the reason it's a sin to harm someone else is that a person is made in the image of God. 
Every person has been given the dignity and the beauty of God himself. God has placed his image on all human beings. And so that's why it's wrong to harm someone else. It's because they're created in God's image. And so if it's not a sin against God first, it's not, against, it's not a sin against someone else. And so David here in saying that he sinned against God primarily is basically saying, don't look at your sin as though you've sinned against your mom or you've sinned against your friend or, or you've sinned in your dad's sight. No, I've, or you may say, well, I've sinned in my own sight. I, I can't even, you know, keep up my own standard for myself. Even that is quite selfish. I've not lived up to my own standards. No, David is saying, not only do I not let my friends judge me or myself judge me, but only God can judge me. Only God's law, God's standards can, can judge me and can judge the human heart. Therefore, there's this plea for God's mercy because he knows that against God, he's sinned. Notice this plea for God's mercy in verses one and two. It's according to your steadfast love, have mercy on me because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out my sin. See, what makes it wrong is that I've broken God's law. Yeah, that's important, but even worse than breaking God's law is that I break God's heart. And so when you're motivated by, by the fear of, of the punishment of sin, you might be restrained from your behaviors, but your heart won't change. The heart is changed. You, you begin to experience life change when repentance involves repudiation, hate, hating sin, not hating self but seeing your sin in the way that God sees your sin. See, David, David is beginning to see, I've trampled on you, Lord. How, how, how can I let myself sin against the one who loves me so much? How can it be? See, there's a kind of repentance, though, that focuses on the consequences and basically uses God as a means, and you end up hating yourself and not hating your sin. And then there's a kind of repentance that focuses on God and where you end up hating the sin and not yourself. And so what ended up convicting David is the assurance that God loves him. That's what leads him to repentance. That's what's going to lead you to repentance. That's what's going to lead us to repudiating our sin is knowing that God loves us and simply wants us to see sin as, as the ultimate thief coming to steal joy coming to shackle us and make us enslaved. Another action here of repentance is that we need, we need a replacement. We need a replacement. We, we can try to replace our sin by covering it up. We see, we see David trying to do that. He covers up his sin. And I'm reminded of being a, a freshman in high school at a prep school and where there was a food fight that broke out. And I guess I have to be honest in saying that I helped start the food fight. And yeah, that day there was uh, an interesting meal that was served. We had beef stew. Yeah, rice, beef stew, carrots, potatoes. And uh, oh, the stain <laughs> that's probably still in that cafeteria that was left on the ceiling of that cafeteria. 
But, but we try to hide that. We try to cover it up by perhaps doing good things, hoping to outweigh the bad or minimizing it. And we know that it needs to be replaced. We know that our sin needs to be replaced. And notice the action being asked of David. He's, he's wanting God to blot it out. He's wanting God to clean it. He's wanting God to have mercy. Wash me, cleanse me, purge me. Hide your face. Let me hear your joy and gladness. Create and renew a clean heart in me. See, we know that our sin, that's your conscience speaking to you, the same conscience that God has created us all with, that same conscience that lets you know that you need cleansing. You know that your sin needs cleansing, yet we still try to cleanse ourselves. You might remember uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth. Late, yeah, Lady Macbeth, the character. I remember reading this book in high school with our uh, English literature class, and there's the scene of Lady Macbeth, Lady Macbeth uh, in the scene of her guilt for a part that she's played in a murder. And as she's sleepwalking through the castle, hallucinating, she's literally scrubbing out this bloody spot from this murder that she's played a role in, and she cries... Out, out, damn spot. She's trying with all her own ability to clean that spot. And what she ends up saying is, as she's washing and rubbing those hands together as if she's trying to wash her own hands, she says that hell is murky, which means that she's already in some sort of like hell. See, sin creates a stain. Sin creates a debt, a spiritual debt, and sometimes a relational debt. Sin creates an offense against justice. A judge cannot ignore a stain and the wrong done. That's not the role of a judge. A criminal's record can be wiped clean only if they pay the penalty. So how can God blot out David's sin here? That's what David is asking him to do. How can God blot out David's sin without striking him dead? The just penalty for all that he's done. And it's only in the New Testament that we learn of Jesus. Jesus is our replacement. Jesus, the New Testament, the New Testament teaches us that what it costs Jesus to cancel the charge of our legal indebtedness to God Jesus took upon himself. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. It's the gospel of replacement. That Jesus lived a perfect life on your behalf because we couldn't do that. That was the standard required. And that Jesus would also die a death for us. He would be a replacement for us. He would take upon himself God's judgment, God's wrath for our sin. And that Jesus rose from the dead and lives inside the life of a believer. That's why in Psalm 32, verse 7, David, instead of trying to hide himself any longer, he says, you, O God, are my hiding place. See, go and hide in God if there's unconfessed sin. If you want to know what repentance looks like, yeah, it's also Acknowledging it there, taking responsibility for it, and repudiating it. But it also means finding your replacement. And this process of replacement is, yes, turning from sin, but also turning to Christ. 
turning to Christ. We'll quote from Thomas Chalmers, a prolific Scottish pastor, early 1800s. And he writes about the explosive power of a new affection. And he says that a new affection is more successful in replacing an old affection than simply trying to end it without supplanting it with something better. Now what he's saying here is you can't just stop doing the thing that you want to do, that is, you know, perhaps sin that we want to do. You've got to have something greater. You, it needs to be replaced with a greater desire, something of greater lure and beauty for you. And that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus is promising. That's why he's different than all other gods. Jesus says, come to me and I will fill you like sin cannot. These bogus other idols and gods that, that, that cry out for our attention, they really basically come to, come to steal life from you. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life. And so another action of repentance is rejoicing. We'll end with this one, rejoicing. Forgiveness is what brings joy. It's not owning a new car or finally getting married or finally becoming famous or finally having enough money. It's forgiveness. That's what brings joy. Verse 8 in Psalm 51, he says, Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. And then referencing Psalm 32, verse 7, he says, You surround me with shouts of joy. Isn't that wonderful that the psalmist isn't boasting that, that he's rejoicing. He's boasting that God is shouting over him. Psalm 32, verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Some of you need that right now. You, you, you're feeling miserable. You're feeling just weighed down. You're feeling so discouraged, perhaps because you're not seeing and not experiencing life change. You're beginning to wonder what's, what's really going on, and yet perhaps you really haven't exercised these, these actions, yes, ongoing actions of repentance. See, God's grace is greater, greater than all of our sin. And the Bible is so different than all other religious books. And the way, one small way, but yet very huge way that it's different is in the Bible, the heroes are not those who are morally strong and have their act together. Rather, it's those who are learning to repent. It's those who are learning, learning because of the unfailing love of God. They're learning to take responsibility for their sin, not defend themselves, not minimize it or blame and then it moves from not just being intellectual, but they begin to, from the heart, repudiate sin. They're learning to hate sin. And they're learning to replace sin with something of greater value, of greater joy, and of greater sustenance. Jesus, God's Word. And they're learning to rejoice. Let's pray right now that God would God would, by his unfailing love, lead us in these actions of repentance.
remembers Jesus' words in Jesus' own ministry. Repetitively, Jesus would say, not only to non-Christians, but Jesus was saying repetitively in the presence of believers and non-believers, repent and believe in the good news of the gospel. And what he was saying was that to repent and to believe is of a perpetual nature. It's an ongoing thing that there's a continual nature to this repenting that we're called to do. Let's be drawn into that right now. Let's pray. Father, your grace and love leads us to repentance. Lead us to your word. It's in your word and and, and in your law there, your, your commandments, that we even know that we are sinners. Then, then lead us to the cross. Let us see Jesus there on the cross. Having lived a perfect life for us and then on that cross, dying a sinner's death in replacement of sinners so that we might be counted righteous. Bring change in us. Bring healing in us. And open our lips to praise you. And we pray all of this in the name of King Jesus. Amen.